This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. We are at the very end today of our exploration of this book that we have been working our way through these past several weeks now with the evolving self. And if you've been with us from the beginning, you might recall that the first half of this book was quite the slog to get through, but the second half of the book has definitely been much better, much more enjoyable. Lots of really interesting insights, and I've really loved this final chapter, so I'm excited to dive in and explore everything. And then Maritza even has a special little surprise for us because she totally went down a rabbit hole from one of the footnotes in the book, and so I learned something really interesting, I think, from this presentation that I wasn't even expecting from having just read the chapter. Okay, you guys are used to this bitch. This will be the last time you'll see this. Aww. Well, not if they catch the recordings, though. True. So here's just the slide we show every time to remind you all what the idea of this book is all about. It's a sequel, a continuation of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi MC's classic book on flow. This was a sequel that was written in the mid to late 90s, so a few years after that pivotal book came out. And just to remind you all, flow is defined as that state in which people are so involved and immersed in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so intrinsically enjoyable that you do it for its own sake. You might even hear flow being described as being in the zone or runner's high. These are like synonyms for what this experience is about. And the other key concept we always talk about with flow is that it happens when there's a balance between challenges and skills. So when you have a challenge, but you also have the skills to meet the challenge, you hit that sweet spot where you're in, we call the flow channel. And you are just totally immersed in that activity and you lose track of time, you lose sense of self, and you're fully engaged. The flow is all about. So for this final chapter, it's called The Fellowship of the Future. And I almost felt like we should have come dressed up as characters from The Lord of the Rings. I was totally thinking we could each uh, this could have somebody be a hobbit and somebody be an elf. I don't know, that's not quite what MC was talking about here, but he does have some really valuable insights about how moving from just thinking about flow as an individual to individuals coming together as a society to form groups, to form what he calls fellowships, so that we can all progress evolution forward. That, that has been the idea of what we're looking as it says here, how can we help steer the course of events in the direction of higher complexity? And higher complexity is part of what flow is all about. Flow is bringing order to consciousness, and it results for the individual in a more complex, unique self. And now we're taking that idea forward and saying, okay, once we have all of these complex selves, how can we come together in groups as a species and steer the course of evolution in a positive way. As he points out here, there is no one recipe for establishing a nucleus of social change, but he's going to put forward several interesting ideas for ways that we can make progress happen. He talks about just this first idea that it even starts with the individual. The individual has to work to improve their own self, but then he also points out that that's Though it's a first step, it's not quite enough that we'll have so much more progress and the way I see even a really beautiful spiral effect when individuals come together with a group with these common goals and values to improve. Did you want to even bring up Maritza here? Because you even saw like a really um, fascinating connection with the previous chapter that we just talked about. 
yes, so here, you know, these are all saying that the, some of the quotes here are quotes from other um, people. They are referenced in the book. They're saying the same thing, basically, you know, improve yourself. And that's the way things progress from in to without. I, um, this last quote is actually from chapter nine, but I posted it here because I felt that it was extremely relevant and it's a fantastic tie-in to just about every chapter in the book. And it's a great, you know, closing comment here for um, this chapter. And we're reminded that when individuals strive towards increased complexity for their own selves, what will survive and grow is the pattern of information that we have shaped through our existence. The acts of love, the beliefs, the knowledge, the skills, the insights that we have had and that have affected the course of events around us. So this is a really fancy way of saying everything you touch is affected by that. You know, we, we cannot go through this life without affecting it in general. So if we are mindful of that and we move forward with intention, well then what happens is what you're leaving behind is more complex. It's something that is going to create more value in the future. And we're going to see this quote reverberated in various different fashions as we move throughout the chapter. So now we're gonna go forward and think about how to actually forge a fellowship. So the main point here, only a community of individuals sharing similar convictions can generate the feedback that confirms each individual's private belief. For this reason, we need to develop a community that shares a belief in the evolution of complexity. To face the third millennium with confidence, we must join together in a community of shared belief about the future. I was going to say one of the things that I personally found fascinating about this chapter. MC wrote this, as I was saying, in the mid to late 90s. And just thinking about how much society has changed in that time with the development and proliferation of the internet, with social media, and all the platforms by which we're able to connect with other people, network with other people, form different groups and communities. In the book, he suggests that it's rather difficult <laughs> to find like-minded individuals and form communities. And it's fascinating to me how technology has made it, in a sense, easier than ever to find people all around the world who perhaps share your beliefs and your values and start to form these small groups. For example, even what we're doing right here with 52 Living Ideas, bringing together people literally from anywhere who share this interest in growing in their knowledge and improving themselves and doing the deep dives in the books in these ways. And it's already a kind of fellowship that I see us I would like to point out to you here on this slide, the small little bullet that says to recognize that it is small groups who give history its peculiar texture does not mean endorsing this fact in every case. The reason I'm pointing this one out to you is because for those of you who have walked with us throughout all these many weeks and all these chapters, you may recall that we had a lively debate earlier on in the book about just this question, about the, the fact that if one looks at history, it appears that it is the odd individual who propels us forward, as opposed to it being a group or community. And we kind of struggled a little bit with that and trying to reconcile MC's belief that you know you evolve through the community with this small fact. So now we get to see a little more clearly 
why it is he upholds that. And we're seeing here that in tandem with the first bullet that is telling us, you know, it must be shared to become effective. Basically, he's saying if you become an absolutely great and brilliant person while you're locked inside the confines of a box and you never interact with anyone, you don't go online, you don't share anything, what are you improving? Who are you really improving? How do you know you've improved? We require feedback. We require interaction for improvement. How can you test what is truly a value of yours or what your morals are if you stay inside that box perpetually? That's basically what we're being told here, that it is first vitally important, yes, for us to improve ourselves. But if we never go further, we're missing a vital step in propelling ourselves, our community evolution forward. That's what I'm hearing MC saying here. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. I don't know who said it first, and I'm probably going to paraphrase it, but it's this idea that if your dream is something that you could accomplish all by yourself, then you're not dreaming big enough. And I hear that that's really what MC is saying here. That First of all, it starts with the individual. We have to recognize individuals. We have to celebrate and the uniqueness of every individual and encourage every individual to develop their own uniqueness, their own potential, their own self-actualization. And we also have to come together as a group with these shared beliefs, these shared values to give each other feedback and input that this is precisely how we're able to really make big steps and the kind of progress that is necessary for something for as big a project as evolving humanity and steering the course of evolution in a positive direction. And we also see the beginnings of being told that it's okay if what it appears you're doing are baby steps because baby steps emerge into bigger steps often without you realizing it. And it may not happen in your lifetime, but that doesn't mean that it will not happen. That I think is a beautiful segue into the next section where he brings us down to the very small step of cells, thinking about the social unit of a cell. As it says here, the corporate social unit or cell is the ideal small group for face-to-face -face interaction and working towards a common goal, leveraging off of individual strengths. The purpose of this type of cell group would be to collect information, understand as much of the reality of a given situation as possible, and then take such action as promised to advance the cause of evolution. So, so much that I thought was really fascinating in this section. First, even just the analogy to a cell, when you think of what a cell is, we know that there are organisms that are just unicellular. A cell in and of itself can be a perfectly functioning organism. And simultaneously, we know that how evolution works is by cells joining together to create multicellular organisms. That that's been the process of our evolutionary history. And I love how MC is kind of making that metaphor and that analogy for how we might think about how evolution can continue and how we can steer it. So he starts by even thinking about how can we start to form cells. What what are the requirements for a fully functioning small unit that can be in itself its own organism, but then have that potential to join with other cells and create something much larger. Now what he does here, something else I found fascinating, is he divides up, so he, he's got this idea now of the social organism, and he divides what's required here into four tasks and he kind of divides it up theoretically between four people that you might want in your group with the kinds of roles or responsibilities that each of the individuals would have to create this cell. And so just typically go over what these four tasks or functions are. The first one um, is about acquiring resources from the environment to keep members of the group alive. 
The second one was about coordinating its activities with other groups in pursuit of goals. The third one was about dividing resources and tasks within the group while maintaining harmony and cooperation. And the last one was about developing and maintaining values and beliefs that give the group hope, identity, and purpose. I just want to point out that these are all action tasks. Acquire, coordinate, divide, develop. So what we're being told here is take action if you want to keep existing. So then just going on here, you know, continuing. So then he's kind of suggesting how you could take each of these actions and what each person in the group in this quote unquote cell would be doing. Um, so the first person, as it says here, um, would become specialized in assembling information about the economic conditions. So this is all about the economy. economy. The second person would be focused on collecting information about political forces and network of politics. The second one is about the third person is responsible for the internal organization of the group. And then the fourth person takes responsibility, takes action in terms of integrating the information. Economy, politics, uh, internal organization, and uh, integration of information. The different divisions are about. And this is this is a different, more specific way of saying similar to what we saw on the previous slide. Um, I want to focus your attention on the question here. How do these issues affect the complexity of the community? in the long run. I personally find that this question is shockingly absent in far too many of our communities today. Whether we're looking at political communities, whether we're looking at social communities, and even you know educational communities, we're not asking this question. In the long run, how are we being affected? And are we being affected to the good? Because that's the unspoken side. You know, you're, you're wanting to be affected to the good or to a benefit. And the requirement is to have common value system so that you all have in mind what to the benefit means to you. It should be similarly veined. Um, and so I, that, that to me is kind of a, a key um, thing here is that you are, um, and it's, it's the intent, the intention. Now, uh, MC says, well, you know, when you just look at these four, um, you know, tasks and you don't, you know, ponder them too hard, you might think, oh, this is just like any other political group or random group I run into. What makes this one special? This question is his answer. Asking this question is what makes the, the cell special. So when you are moving with intent, it just changes everything. Um, another thing I wanna point out here is the word understanding. I like to crack the joke that Google knows everything and understands nothing. Google is not a cell group of the future because it does not quite have what it needs to create increased complexity. And forgetting that fact is actually a problem that we're seeing, that we're facing in today's world. We are making the mistake of assuming that one equals the other, and it does not. And so MC does a fantastic job in this chapter of pointing out to us that we require all these seemingly small components that actually are vast and huge. Because think about it, it's like a scale. If you keep amassing all this knowledge, but you don't ever stop to attempt to assimilate it, to understand it, you get top heavy. 
So you need to keep doing some kind of a balancing act. And this also brings up again for us the concepts of uh, differentiation and integration that we've spoken about at various points throughout this book. And even when we did um, the original flow book, you know, the, the key as most things is moderation, finding that sweet spot. You have to dance, you have to move and you need to find the balance. And the same here for information. If you just keep amassing information without attempting to understand it, you're not going to find this enrichment that we are all seeking in our interactions. And so finally, we're gonna talk about what he refers to here as a faith of the future. The major point here is that the shape of the future depends on how we invest our psychic energy. But there's no assurance that the complexity of the brain is destined to generate ever higher levels of differentiation and integration. Even though faith in evolution does not require belief in a forwarding outcome, it does require trust in the unknown. I thought it was interesting here that he even used that term faith in, as what we're going to describe here. I think he chose that word precisely because he wants to talk about the importance of this idea of trusting in the unknown, that none of us know exactly how evolution will play out, but we have to have that kind of trust that if we do the right things, that we will be moving forward. So this is right. There, there is no end to be found, no ultimate wisdom, just a slowly growing awareness that with time, um, wisdom becomes ever more rich and complex. There was so much in this um, section here. You know, it was almost near impossible to put it up in here. The, um, you know, he's telling us that the, faith in evolution is vital. And it's it's similarly vain to when one considers the concept of religion. Within a religious sector, we're being called upon to have faith in something that we cannot see, that we cannot truly know for a fact. We have to have faith that it exists. And we're told here that we have to have faith in evolution as well. And it's, there it's twofold I see here because it's it's the idea of having in mind the fact that there is an evolutionary process and that we are on that path whether or not we're thinking about it we are part of that process and then it's also the idea of the positive psychology of assuming that evolution is going up. That's the call to faith. Because as he says throughout this entire chapter, and he very strenuously says it here in many different ways. Actually, I, I could have had written a whole second um, a page just on all the different ways he tells us there's no guarantee. That's what he's telling us. There, there's no guarantee. Even if you do everything right, even if you work to make yourself the best human you possibly can. If you work to ensure that your little cell group makes themselves the best, and then you find other cell groups, all of that, there's still no guarantee that there's not gonna be a meteor to come and wipe out the entire human race as we know it to exist today. No guarantees in life. So it's similar to what we were told at the end of low book. You know, it's the whole idea of, you know, uh, goals are, um, goals are not um, the most important thing. Make a goal. Basically, that's what he's saying to you here. You know, we have no guarantee that any of what we're doing is going to bear us fruits. Do it anyway, is what he's saying to you here. Now, on the next page, we're going to get into a concept. So it's a response to the last sentence 
of the previous section. The previous section are in the cells of the future, right? So he ends that section saying, you know, he's talking about, um, uh, and I, I wrote it in this, in here, I'm gonna go back one here, just, just to show you, because I wanna introduce the, the next slide. Um, so here we say at the end, it says, you know, with time, evolutionary cells may start sharing information with others in the same community or in neighboring ones. Eventually, isolated cells may coalesce in a loose confederation and evolutionary fellowship that could provide a vision and a conscience for society as a whole. It's a super heavy statement. So what he does in last section is he begins it telling us a little bit more about how to get there. This is the cautionary tale, you know, telling us there's no guarantee we have to trust in the unknown. But then he also tells us there, there are guides though. We don't have to, it's not blind faith, you know? It's kind of one of those trust and verify. So here at the very beginning of the section, he does give us these four beautiful axioms. I think they're brilliant and I'm probably gonna print them out and put them somewhere I can see regularly. So he's saying to us, the basic tenets on which to base the work of such a fellowship can be very simple. If we believe, again, belief is a faith, right? That making the future more complex is something worth striving for. And we're gonna assume that all of us here believe that. We should be guided by the following axioms suggested by the logic of evolution, which I like because it allows us to have faith, but not just faith. We've got a couple other things because when he's saying the logic of evolution, one can presuppose that they're falling back on what we have studied throughout the ages. I'm not sure if you wanted to read these all, Joya. Should we read them in turn? So the first one says, you are part of everything around you, the air, the earth, and the sea, the past and the future. If you bring disorder to any of these, you bring harm upon your own self as well. The second one says, you shall not deny your uniqueness. You are the only center of consciousness in your space-time location. Therefore, your thoughts, feelings, and actions shall be rooted in your personal knowledge and experience. Third, that you are responsible for your actions. If you achieve control over your mind, your desires, and your actions, you are likely to increase order around you. If you let them be controlled by genes and means, you are missing the opportunity to be yourself. And the last one tells us, you shall be more than what you are. The self is a creative construction. No one is ever complete and finished. It is what you will do in the future that determines who you are. Transcending the limits of a self-centered selfhood is the path of evolution. Really, I am going to post this in the comments and I encourage you, print this out read it. I find that this is a fascinating um, guiding. I, I may consider doing a discussion just on these um, these axioms because I, I, I think love that. Fascinating. And it's almost poetry. It's almost do it on poetry Monday. Indeed, indeed. There's a kind of almost biblical resonance to it to, to connect it with the idea of faith of the future and just the same way that the, the, the bible almost has its own kind of poetic cadence to it i thought this has a, a beautiful rhythm and poetry to it as well i agree i i feel like this is a fantastic way to end the chapter um these are just great you just i i couldn't create and these by the way this one slide is the only slide i've created in our two books where this is verbatim from the book Everything on here is a direct copy from the book. Most everything else is a paraphrase. 
but this one is a direct one for one. He put this down. Um, I don't know if they come from something else. He does not say that. So I assume that these are his words. And I just- That's think my that, assumption as well. I, I read this and thought this was his way of poetically expressing essentially the ideas that he's been trying to capture throughout all of his books up to this point. I would agree with that. Um, so now the next two slides we have, I added them in based upon a small little sentence that he made on page 286. This is going to take us down a rabbit hole. I'm excited. Yes, a little rabbit hole. Right. I'm not paying attention to this footnote <laughs> in the book. Yes. So now, it's because the notes are in the back. He doesn't even have footnotes. Like you have to go searching for them in the back. And then they're like after the references. So um, on page 286, he says this tiny little statement about um, about um, social systems. And he says, according to those who study social systems, every social organism must attend to four major tasks in order to keep existing. And we do go into those four major tasks, right? But what we don't do is question, where'd you get these from? He's telling us, that he's relying on Talcott Cot Parsons' general action system model. And he's talking about the agile model. He's saying that the four functions are adaptation, goal attainment, integration, and pattern maintenance, which he does, th those are, that's agile, that's um, Talcott Parsons. Now he has a huge, it's an actual, it's a general action theory and it encompasses three major systems aspects. I'm gonna, I'd like to go through with you today just the social system theory section of his. So this is Talcott Pearson's Agile Functional Imperatives for Social Systems. It's called Agile because we're talking about adaptation, goal attainment, integration, and latency. Latency is the maintenance phase, which in the time when um, uh, MC wrote his book, they weren't—they didn't have the agile, the fancy terminology yet. I believe agile was created in two thousand four, but it is based off of Cot Parsons' model. It's just in his original works, he did use um, maintenance instead of latency. But the the fascinating thing about this is that it is, again, it's an iterative process. You do a dance back and forth with these, but it, it aligns with the four tasks and the four people that you want in your cell group, because we're saying that, so, so basically the question of a positive evolutionary path, it's a problem solving question. So that's answered here from a social systems perspective. In an action, um, in, or like a call to action format, you know. So we're, you know, we're we're told, you know, you have to cope with external boundary conditions, and this is, you know, be aware of what your resources are, what your environment is, what the economic situation is, and then it's telling you that societies need goals. Let's define what our goals are. Um, and that's, it's, so we have, you know, all these politics, political systems. I don't know about you guys, but I have found that lately in the social media and the television, we just get mudslinging instead of, I will do this. My goals are these. This is my action plan. So goal attainment is something that's been degraded in our modern society. But as we see here, it's kind of a vital thing for social glue. And then once you have your goals and you've considered what your boundaries are, you need to figure out a way to come about with some integrative efforts here. You know, the, the reason for having boundaries like regulations is to help you more easily attain your goal. 
And the way to do that is to do an integration. So you need to have some time of a back and forth. And that back and forth is in your maintenance phase. So once you've identified your goals and your boundaries and you found a way to have them interwoven together, if you sit back and do nothing, there will be degradation that's going to fall apart. As I mentioned with my view on you know, political um, parties in the news and the media today, we're treating them as if they're operating as they were various many years ago. They're not, but we allow them to continue to degrade and that's not to the benefit of our societal gloom. So we have to motivate people. We have to renew things. We have to hash out any conflict because conflict that is left unanswered festers. And when something is festering, you're not moving forward. And that takes us back to our ultimate premise, which what we really want and we're always striving toward is that forward movement. And just as, a, oh, by the way, the nice, the first three of these, adaptation, goal attainment, and integration, when those are done and done well, they allow us to more easily slide into a flow state. Because remember that you cannot enter flow if you've got too much stress. If you're worried, if you're anxious, you will not be in flow. These first three components allow us to let those things go. Because while we cannot account for all variables, the mind feels reassured at knowing that many things have been addressed. We can handle some unknown. We, we're used to some type of chaos. We cannot handle it all being unknown and it all being disordered. When there's some order, now we can let go and just flow, right? That's where I see this social systems action plan working for us. I have one last slide for you. It's a graph. This is a slightly prettier way, perhaps easier. I wanted to provide both because I acknowledge that some people are more visual. Some people want the descriptor. And so I'm giving you guys both here. The nice, what I, what I like about this here is that it's showing you different ways in which we do it. And, and interestingly enough, you can do all four steps within each step. And I think that's fascinating, the idea of doing them like that and look at it. And it really does show you how you can take a small subgroup and explode it up and then back again. So you can look at this as each one of these blocks is a one subgroup. You can look at it as all four of them are one subgroup. You could also look at it as each block, which it, within each block is yet another subgroup. And that allows us to visually get what it is MC is telling us when he says, start small, incorporate into bigger things. And, and it's done in a way, this is, you know, it, it's exponentially increasing. It can be exponentially increasing. And so I, this is, you know, I'm barely scratching the surface on this social system theory. But the question that he's asking us with this theory, with this model, is how is social order established? And again, we're establishing order so that we can set it and forget it. Not literally forget it, but forget it long enough to enter into flow. Flow will have you forget it. So you don't even have to. But because remember, everything falls away. But you need to put yourself in a state where you can more easily slide there. I really like this last statement. And this is Parsons' own statement. Social systems are based on interaction between actors, and there are four basic functions required to construct, maintain, or change a system. This ties perfectly in with MC's four tasks that he's saying we need to come up with. So when he tells us that we need to acquire, coordinate, divide, 
And then he's saying we need to develop. That's here, the four basic functions. And we're doing all of this so that we can construct, maintain, or change the system. And it can be a system of beliefs. It can be a political system. It can be, you know, a system of the community crime prevention folks. It doesn't matter the system, the processes function the same. So I'm hoping that there was some value to you for adding this little piece. I will probably invite folks to um, consider um, Parsons a little more in depth in the future in other forums. But for now, just give you a taste and I'm just fascinated seeing the corollaries and how it really does fit in. And for me, I really appreciate seeing that it's not, so, so you know, MC is looking at this from a positive psychology perspective, an evolutionary track. As you delve into Talca Parsons, he is extremely methodical. He's very well-researched, very nuanced. His systems theories, his theories are very, very concretized. And so it's fascinating to see how it does still mesh together. And it's heartening for those of us who are perhaps occasionally a little more logically bent, and maybe we have a little more trouble making that leap of faith. It's nice to get little things like this that help provide that extra bit of logic that will then allow us a little bit of faith because we know that it's faith backed with a bit of logic. So that's why I was sharing this here with you. Um, and that's, that is our presentation today. Um, oh, thank you for that. I thought this was absolutely fascinating. To me, it even, it concretizes even much better why MC uses that analogy of the cell. And you really, I think I love seeing how it's like the cells within the cells. And you really see how this is connected to evolution, how the, the different cells can come together to essentially create multicellular systems. That's what evolution is all about. And this is even just giving us a further model I'm going to point one more thing out. I don't know if you know, guys noticed, if you see here, this little word medium, right? It's when you read some of his other works, what he's saying is what is the vehicle being used to create this cell? And it's fascinating to see that he... Over here in the maintenance, your value commitments are, are the clay you're using. Influence is what you're using for integration, which really gave me pause. He looks at money as the, and now he's looking at this as a social thing. Money is what we use for adaptation because he views that adaptation is very economic in nature and then power for goal attainment. Those make sense to me. I was fascinated by the idea of integration being the influence medium. So again, there, there, and there are this model, there are a couple versions of it and, and there's more and more layers. I tried to pick one without too many layers because I didn't want to confuse, but if you're interested, you could type this um, Talcott Parsons Agile um, theory into, um, Google and you will lose hours, my friend. But it's in a good way because you'll you'll learn lots. It's fascinating to me. Thank you for going down the rabbit hole with me. Yeah, I think that this is it, it integrates with MC's whole point here. He was thinking about how do we integrate unique individuals and selves into a wider community, and that's what this is all about. We're going to integrate socially and what's the mechanism for doing that it's through influence it's fascinating to me even how i feel that term influence has just become so much more prominent since 2004 which i guess when you mentioned that this was originally developed we have we have a whole category of people who are influencers now with the rise of of social media and social networks so the, the whole idea and the importance of being an influencer and thinking about how we create these global networks and connections of 
people is just, you know, that much more enabled in our current society by the technologies that we've developed and that we are living with now in the 2020s. Indeed. Well, that's, that's all we've got, guys. This is the point where we have a really small group here, so I don't think there's even a need to, to, to break out rooms. I think we'll just open up the floor if anybody has any questions or wants to share any takeaways. Anyone who's been here for any of the previous sessions, this is our grand finale for this book here. So if there's anything even you wanted to question or share from any of the earlier chapters or just from this presentation, this is when Rose and I get to shut up for a little bit because you've heard us talking for quite some time and we get to turn it over to you and hear some of your thoughts if you would like to share. And again, if you want to share, um, you can type exclamation in the chat or use the hand raising function if you want to come up and have your video on the screen. And if not, you can always just even feel free to type it within the chat as well if there's anything that you wanted to share within the chat. Well, well, for me, we need people. I'm curious, were you familiar with Talbot Parsons before this, or was this really just like a totally brand new rabbit hole that you went through from finding the equipment? No, I was not. I, I was familiar. I mean, I'd heard Agile. I feel like everyone's heard of Agile, but you kind of think of it as like a, I had thought that it was like a new agey um, business model. Um, I was not super familiar with it. Um, and so I, I found how off and how wrong I was. He also has, so this social system is interesting, but the cultural system that he has is also quite fascinating. Um, it's just, it's, um, it's very, it's, it's a lot. His, his theory is very, the general action theory is, I, I really, it's enticing because of the fact that it's, it's literally a, a theory stating that you know the, the way forward is through action, which seems overly simple, right? But he goes on to explain A, how it's not as simple as we think it is, and B, how we require intentional movement in all and how all three how all three systems are necessary to be used together. So you have the cultural, you have the um, social, and then you have the economic. And he goes into vast detail explaining how they interact, how they don't interact, and you know what you need to do. And, and it's all action-based. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I will say he's not easy. His stuff is dense, but it's, it's worth it. It's worth wading through because it's really good. As we consider, can you maybe go back to the, the slide from the last part of MC's presentation and those four tenets, the poetry that Yes, I can do that. I love this idea of, this is an idea I feel with patterns that I see, this is, these are ideas that we see come up again and again throughout the positive psychology and the humanistic psychology. We see this in MC, it's in with Abraham Maslow and Carl Rogers and all of those people who are really kind of Seligman, all of those psychologists who've really been kind of focused on thinking about psychology from the perspective of not how do we just deal with disease and problems, but how do we think about what is the potential of human beings. Uh, even Victor Frankl, who we've mentioned in, in other uh, sessions, resonates with this. This is beautiful idea of both the self and the transcendence of the self, which we've been talking about the whole time here, thinking about, you know, improving the self and also improving society as a whole. And I love, you can just know the way that it gets expressed in all of these different four tenets that you see how people kind of go wrong because they want one or the other and where really it is this beautifully integrated and unified thing that if you focus only on the self then you're sort of missing out 
on the transcendence. And people go wrong with the transcendence as well because you can get lost there and then lose the value of the unique self. And so what I love here is that we have kind of both the transcendence, but the transcendence is not a, a diminishment or loss of the self. The transcendence includes the self-actualization of the self. No. And I mean, I, that's exactly, you know, what obviously Abraham Maslow, like always said, he was one who came up with that phrase self-actualization. And then, you know, beyond that, what we don't see in the pyramid that we usually see was his ideas of self-transcendence. And he really saw those as being you know, parallel. That, that, that was the goal for what human beings ought to strive for. In life. And so it's beautiful to have it, to see these the same ideas expressed in a different way and, and they're really such a beautiful portrait to the way that MC put it with his four tenets here. Yes, I agree. And I, I really like that he calls them axioms. I don't know, for those of you who may not be as familiar with the concept of an axiom, something is said to be an axiomatic um, thing or statement when it is believed to be as low as you can go. You cannot break it down anymore. It is the smallest component. And so I really like that he calls these axioms. In other words, you know, you shall not deny your uniqueness. That is the smallest component of you that exists. And I think that's fascinating. Um, so I really like the, that use of the word axiom here. I was going to say, I, I always think of that term axioms in the context of mathematics and logic. So again, it's that combination of the logic and the mathematics with that you know, perhaps more religious, spiritual sense of what, what are we here for? That's true. Any last thoughts then that you want to share, Melissa, or anyone else? Or I mean, this was even a short chapter, but I think it is. There was a, a beauty in the simplicity. Then. So again, thinking about you know that that both and approach of you know we want we want to integrate things. We want to integrate complexity and simplicity. So MC has been all about complexity. We know that that that's been the goal, even of flow with individuals and now we're seeing flow in terms of societies and revolutions that the goal that we've been striving for is higher and higher complexity but beyond complexity is simplicity and there, there so much of wisdom is taking the complexity that surrounds us and being able to express it in simple terms which is something i think he even does by kind of bringing it into just these four axioms and into just the short simple chapter that sums everything up so in a way it's almost a perfect way to end this book as we're striving for greater complexity to ultimately bring it yes. back to this this was <laughs> i will agree this was a great way to end i think it was well done as much as i hated some of the other chapters in his book this one was very well done it was dense it was actually dense denser than we made it seem. We kind of pulled out the nuggets here. Um, I will say that I would be interested in perhaps having a follow-on um, discussion where we um, pull out, and I don't know if you, this, I'm just throwing this on the table, um, Joya, where we were pull out certain concepts and just kind of maybe look at them not from the um, perspective of the book, but from the perspective of our day-to-day. Um, -day. I think that would be a, a, an interesting or fun thought experiment. It might be something where we could um, speak with um, Shrikant, and maybe, maybe it's a matter of speaking with him and we can try to do um, something um, in the, you know, the format, the new format he's been looking at where he takes a couple questions and he, I mean, he goes through, um, it's just different ways of kind of looking at a, a topic. It might be interesting to do. I, I just like the idea of taking it out of the book and into the world because mm -hmm. this, if any book needs that, this is one. 
I love it. So even though this is the end of the book, it's not the end of these ideas yes. and their relevance and their application and our thinking about what to do with these ideas and how to bring them into our lives to improve our individual lives and our, our groups in our society. Yeah, we're we're going to bring you guys. Um, we'll we'll get the gang back together to um, talk about more concepts of flow, you know, flow in our lives. Maybe other people who have explored and experimented with flow um, and how it works. I mean, because I will say that this, um, you know, learning about uh, Talcott Parsons makes me realize that if you look for it these statements, these comments are interwoven in other things. And, and what I'm getting out of what I got so sharply here in, in this last five chapters of this book is that many of the methodologies that MC is suggesting to us are quite reminiscent of um, systems, theories in general. And it, it seems almost like that that's almost a contradiction, but I could see it. It's the, the idea of bringing some order to the out to a chaos. It's there. So um, well, I mean, that, that has kind of been his whole point with what flow is and does is that it brings order to consciousness. That was sort of the point of the flow book. And now in this book, we're, we're kind of even extending that idea of going from flow and order consciousness to kind of bring that order to the other otherwise perhaps chaotic process of evolution. Absolutely. And I will say um, it's also if, if any of you has read the book The Design Way by um, Harold Nelson and Eric Stolterman, it's fascinating. I see corollaries. I really it's it's really interesting. Maybe that might even be our first uh, way to pull the ideas out of the book is to maybe take some of the ideas from this book in a design way and even just maybe start to think about how those ideas speak to each other. I like it. Yes. So stay tuned guys. We're going to, we're going to come up with some other stuff. Um, hopefully we'll get, you know, more of the, the folks who have followed us throughout. Um, but if not, we will have fun with whoever shows up. And I, uh, so there, this, um, catch the recording. say again, they can always catch the recording. Indeed, indeed. Um, I'm going to post these um, these basic tenets. I will post them in the comments just for those who were not able to um, make it um, here today for us. Um, you know, because I, I, I just think that everyone needs to see these. And so I will post that for everyone. At the end of this chapter, there weren't as many questions as he usually has. But I really do like the, um, the last thing that he asks us to contemplate together is he says, if you have written down a few ideas in response to the questions listed at the ends of the chapters in this book, and if you've gone through with us, you have, because we've presented some of the questions to you. He says, or even if you have just taken a few moments to think about them, your consciousness may have changed somewhat. Do you think that there has been a change? How would you describe it? When I read that, it gave me pause, um, which is, it's funny because I'm telling people that, you know, you're, you're, you're being changed as you um, grow and explore. You know, we do that every two weeks. And I, I do it in other um, discussions that we have here with the um, 52 Living Ideas. And yet reading that, reading that just by contemplating some of his questions my consciousness changed it just gave me pause it was it's it was just amusing to me that I had not previously contemplated that and so I say to you um thank you for walking with us and you know I'm glad that we changed our consciousness just a tiny bit together and individually, and I'm hoping that we have many more opportunities to do so. That's beautiful. Said. 
we've we've evolved ourselves, as the book suggests to us. You know, we, we've each changed our consciousnesses by reading the book, and I love that we have also evolved as a group. We've, we've formed our own little cell, our own little perhaps even multicellular group and organism here. We've been not only an evolving self, but an evolving group, and I'm looking forward to seeing how we will continue to evolve. Yes, this is psychic energy well spent. I don't know, Joya. So does anyone else want to comment? Raise your hand, type an exclamation. The floor is yours, guys. Yes, I think something to say good night for now and think about reaching out to Shrikant and making our next plans. Yeah, I think so. Well, guys, it was great and bittersweet that we're coming to an end. Um, we'll be back. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Enjoy the summer, everybody, and we will see you again soon.